Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, September the 9th. This week, very much a respiratory medicine-themed issue. This issue of The Lancet, which is dated September the 10th to the 16th, will be going to the European Respiratory Society meeting coming up in Amsterdam in a couple of weeks' time. And this issue of The Lancet will be in every delegate bag of uh, people attending that meeting, which which is terrific. I'm delighted to be joined by one of my colleagues from The Lancet, Dr. Sabina Kleinert. Uh, welcome, Sabina. Hello, Richard. Sabina, welcome. At the heart of the issue is a three-part clinical series about COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. This seems to be a poorly understood, poorly defined disease. Tell us what the proper definition should be, do you think? Well, let me start to say that it has an enormous burden on morbidity and mortality worldwide. And it's really estimated that currently more than 200 million people worldwide, and this figure is very likely an underestimate because the disease is often diagnosed very late, have COPD. It's currently the fourth leading cause of death. And as you say, yet we have very little understanding of the underlying mechanisms of this disease and the different phenotypes that make this disease. Incidence and morbidity of COPD are still rising and in some countries such as China at an alarming rate. There's another way of looking at disease burden, which we also have in this week's issue in a research paper, and that is looking at a population-level lifetime risk, which Andrea Gershon and colleagues do in a Canadian population. And they estimate from longitudinal registry data of residents in Ontario, Canada, that the population lifetime risk of developing COPD at age 80 years is about 30% in men and 26% in women. So about one in four people older than 35 years will be diagnosed with COPD in their lifetime. So clearly a really important chronic disease worldwide. But you've asked me about how to define the disease. Is it just a lung disease? Is it largely affecting those who smoke with predictable progression and outcome? Far from it. There's now more and more evidence and a consensus building among pulmonologists and others that COPD is a heterogeneous syndrome beyond the strict definition of irreversible airflow limitation due to an abnormal inflammatory immune response in the lung due to stimuli such as cigarette smoke or air pollution. And I say heterogeneous because not only is there a varying disease activity in terms of degree or speed of lung function decline and frequency of exacerbations, but there are also recognized comorbidities that share some of the risk factors, such as cardiovascular disease or cancer. And that will influence disease severity and prognosis. So the real difficulty is not so much the definition and staging of COPD per se, which the Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease classification divides into stage 1 to 4 according to lung function testing, but arriving at a useful definition and classification that takes comorbidities and patient-related outcomes into account. One of the key things underlying COPD, of course, is immunology, isn't it? Now, without giving a lecture on immunology, which I'm sure you don't want to do, (laughs) the underlying immunology is important, isn't it? Because that, that presumably is consistent across different types of COPD. That's right. And the first paper in our clinical series describes the key immunological factors, which are essentially the activation of innate and adaptive immune cells such as epithelial cells, macrophages and dendritic cells in the lung and that's part of the defense mechanism of the lung against inhaled particles, microbes or noxious gases. The continuing exposure to for example cigarette smoke will cause chronic pulmonary inflammation 
airway remodeling and airspace enlargement due to destruction of alveolar walls, or in other words, it will cause emphysema. Viral and bacterial infections of the lungs contribute to the cause of COPD in two ways. First, they are the most important cause of exacerbations. And second, chronic colonization and infection perpetuates chronic inflammation, even in stable COPD. And unfortunately, pulmonary inflammation persists in patients with COPD even after smoking cessation. And that's through a variety of mechanisms, such as autoimmunity, impaired cell clearance, oxidative stress, and tissue hypoxia. And as just pointed out before, also due to chronic colonization and infection of the lower airway that persists. What are the risk factors for COPD? We've talked a lot about uh, cigarette smoke already, and that remains the main risk factor. But indoor air pollution, exposure to biomass fuel, and occupational exposures are increasingly recognized as other major risk factors worldwide. In addition, there's emerging evidence that lower lung function early in life and asthma predisposes to development of COPD later in life. When we've talked about COPD in the past, we focused quite rightly on the importance of public health measures in preventing or reducing COPD, anti-tobacco campaigns and clean air initiatives. But the series, I think, is important because it's very much looking ahead, isn't it, at the clinical management of COPD, hopes for the future management. Do you want to comment on what you think the future clinical management will be of this disease? Yes, let me say a few words, though, about prevention efforts as well, because, yes, smoking prevention efforts and reducing exposure to passive smoking as well must be the number one effort worldwide to reduce the future burden of COPD. Progress has been made, but there's much more to do. And not only is there the very real danger of tobacco companies concentrating marketing efforts in countries with less stringent legislation, there are also some signs that even in developed countries with anti-tobacco legislation in place, the rate of decline in the number of people who smoke is slowing. So the latest CDC figures released this week, for example, show that still 45 million people in the USA were smokers in 2010, or 19.3% of the adult population. But let's talk about management of established COPD. It is really important to gather more evidence on when to start treatment, for example, should those who are symptomatic in the very early stages of the disease be treated, and the third paper in the series will talk about all these treatment dilemmas in great detail. Will people who are treated very early adhere to such long-term treatment? And will it make any difference to outcome? These are all questions that are currently still unanswered largely. And unfortunately, very few new pharmacological advances have been made in the treatment of COPD over several decades now. The mainstay of the treatment is still the combination of long-acting beta agonists and inhaled corticosteroids. And the second paper with Fernando Martinez and colleagues as authors explains that new treatment development is hampered by our only very rudimentary understanding of the underlying disease processes. Also, due to inadequate in vitro and in vivo models to test new drugs, unvalidated biomarkers, inefficient physiological and clinical endpoints, and variable regulatory issues worldwide. So in summary, COPD remains a major global health problem for the foreseeable future with many more questions and answers. Thank you very much indeed. That's Dr. Sabina Kleinert, one of my colleagues from The Lancet. So do look out uh, in this week's issue for the three-part series about COPD and also some associated uh, research articles concerning respiratory medicine as this issue will be going to Amsterdam to the European Respiratory Society meeting coming up at the end of September. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.